The Bible, a queer reading with Jennifer Suzanne Leith. A reading of Christian scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pangs in childbirth exceedingly great. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living 
and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the humans have become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which they were taken. He drove out the humans, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. Genesis 3. We are all responsible. Then the Lord God said, See, the humans have become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 3.22. Genesis. The word is a translation of the Hebrew word Bereshit. In the Bible, this word has most often been translated more explicitly as in the beginning, the first words of the book. Michael Carden argues that this could have been translated in at least 12 other ways, including the beginning of. Accordingly, Genesis 1 would read the beginning of God's creation. And after reading Genesis 1 and 2, we know that there are at least a couple ways we can account for the beginning of God's creation. The easy answers that our catechisms provide us may help us to a point, but they do not tell the whole story. If Genesis 1 and 2 give us points of origin for creation, Genesis 3 gives us another point of origin for understanding human nature. The crafty serpent enters the storyline in verse 1. The good and very goodness of creation seem to be already far gone. The serpent explains in verses 4 and 5, quote, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Close quote. The woman who is with the man at the time eats and shares with the man. They recognize one another's nakedness and seem to understand the significance of this to some extent. They make loincloths. God returns to the garden and the man hides because of his nakedness and whatever he thinks he understands about the significance of his nakedness. God inquires as to who told the man he was naked and or what that meant. Then a version of the truth follows. The man admits to eating but says in verse 12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. In other words, I did it, but I am not responsible, or at least I am not the most responsible, or maybe I am not the only one responsible. Not only does he deflect toward the woman, but he also deflects toward her maker, God. The woman makes a similar move when she is confronted, explaining in verse 13, the serpent tricked me and I ate. What follows is the difficult but ultimately good news. God holds everyone responsible. The serpent is held accountable. The woman is held accountable. The man is held accountable. However, the way this accountability is explained and accounted for leaves us with some questions and concerns. And by the way, God even in some sense perhaps holds God's self accountable. 
The serpent is doomed to eat dust and be under the heel of humans. The woman is doomed to bear children in pain, desire the husband, uh, though no marriage is recorded, and be ruled by him. The man is doomed to work without consistently enjoying the harvest of his toil due to thorns, thistles, and an impending return to the dust. And uh, for God's part, um, there is a design issue that God addresses at the end of the chapter. Having held all parties responsible, God still meets these folks where they are, making better clothes for them. And here Adam, the man, finally names the woman Eve, the mother of all living, who is also somehow his wife. Should we not pause to challenge the logic of these origin stories that lay the groundwork for a thingification of all women as the property and wives of all men, leaving only men to duke it out when other men challenge their claims on women? After all, thanks be to God that there are other ways of being women and men, that women do not need to be ruled by men, that all women do not need to bear children or to parent only following the pangs of childbirth, that not all women desire men or only and always their husbands, that uh, men can share labor with others, men and women, such that all men need not toil in the soil to survive and that uh, in some sense, even men can bear children. The serpents are sometimes found in trees. Look at how the chapter ends though. The very words the serpent uses to convince the woman to eat of the forbidden tree's fruit, uh, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil are found repeated in the mouth of God. The humans have become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now they might reach out their hands and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Both God and the serpent affirm that having eaten the fruit, the man and woman have become like God, knowing good and evil. In a wild twist, the serpent and God seem to line up on this second but most critical point as well. Eating the fruit will not result in death. Well, at least not necessarily, not immediately, not directly, not without a possibility of mitigation. The serpent was wrong. The woman and man would taste the dust of death and it would have something to do with their eating of the forbidden fruit. The serpent was also right. Death would not have the final say. It would not be absolute. In fact, according to the writer, God's concern with the whole fiasco was the possibility that these humans would find the tree of life and eat and live forever. Whoa, wait a minute. God doesn't want humans to live forever? Nope. Not at this point and not in this way. Right and wrong, good and evil, desirable and undesirable, ideal and not ideal are not as simple as they seem. Do we blame the writer? Do we blame the interpreters? Do we blame God? God forbid. So what's the good news? We are all responsible. The blame game is no use. God knew God's human and planetary design, including its limitations, when God set humans up in the garden. The serpent seems to have known what the serpent knew. The woman knew what the woman knew. The man knew what the man knew. Perhaps we should ask, how or for what are we all responsible? We are all responsible for God's word. First, God is responsible to uphold God's word. Accordingly, if God's, God has indicated a certain outcome in some way, that outcome must be and, and must be true. 
Second, we are are responsible to listen for, hear, and respond obediently to God's word. We cannot pass the buck. We each answer for ourselves, our own listening, hearing, and responding. Finally, we are all responsible not to twist things up. That is, not to put the word um, revelation of God away it was not intended. Who is to say what the primordial intention is or was, though? Certainly not me. But for us to suggest that the primordial intention is synonymous with the patriarch's tradition and or the status quo is not a strong enough claim to bind us. Good news. We are all responsible for the word of God, which we can scarcely discern, and then only at best with the utmost humility. What has God told you? What has God told me? When you hear it, remember it, write it down, don't let it go, and act in obedience. When we hear it, let us do likewise. This is what I strive to do. Two, I try not to force others to hear and do what I heard and do. Because I know my ears because I know my ears don't always hear clearly, and I do not always do as I ought to do. Still, God speaks. So maybe this is what we are all responsible for, knowing that God speaks, striving to hear accurately, endeavoring to act faithfully. And by God's help, I will not share with or teach to others what God has not given to me to share or teach.